as you're leaving today. Our scripture reading this morning is from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. Um, It's on the screen, so please follow along as I read. There are also Bibles available at the ends of your pews if you'd like to um, follow along that way. So Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Good morning, everybody. Uh, If I haven't met you before, my name is Chad. I'm a pastoral resident here at The Well, uh, and I'm grateful to be here this morning with you all. Uh, Before we jump in, I just want to highlight Matt, Courtney, and the kids uh, left for Costa Rica this past Friday to uh, go on a family mission trip with YWAM, uh, our partners down there, uh, who are doing amazing work building homes uh, for people who don't have them, uh, engaging with those families, sharing the gospel with them. Uh, so they've been down there since Friday. Uh, they'll be there s- until Tuesday, so if you can keep praying for them, uh, I'm sure they would appreciate that, especially as they're uh, closing things out. Uh, and I believe we're sending a, we would like to send a student trip there this summer as well. So if you are a student or a parent of a student and would like to find out more information about dates and what's all involved, uh, I'd encourage you to talk to Brandon or Willis or Ronald. Uh, it should be an amazing time. Um, and I think our first student mission trip ever or in recent history international, so first international student mission trip, so uh, it'd be really, really exciting time, and I encourage you to um, consider that if you are a student. Uh, so we have been spending uh, the past number of weeks working through Galatians, uh, discussing kind of these big, important theological topics, uh, ideas of, of who God is, who we are, uh, what is our relationship with him, uh, things like that. So things uh, like the fact that we are justified through faith in Christ alone, Uh, that we are free from the bondage of sin, uh, that the law, so kind of Jesus plus anything, uh, our works plus anything, is not what brings true freedom, uh, and that we are truly free in Christ. So all of this culminates in the final parts of of Galatians here in uh, Galatians 5, the second half, and in 6, where we get to the kind of what now part of the book. That if everything that we've talked about leading up uh, to here is true, and we believe that it is, uh, what do we do? What is our response to these truths? And in this passage, we are going to see that we are free to pursue Christ-likeness. 
that we are free to pursue Christ-likeness. And we're going to look at kind of three things uh, from this passage. First, we're going to look at the conflict that exists. Uh, Second, we're going to be looking at the choices in that conflict. Uh, And the third, uh, we're just going to get super practical in what does it mean to walk uh, walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. So first, uh, the conflict. Uh, Verse 17 uh, reads, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So while we are truly free from the bondage of sin, uh, while we are truly free from the consequences of sin and are justified through Christ, uh, the reality is in, in this life now we continue to struggle uh, between our flesh and the spirit. Uh, that as we wait for Jesus to return, that this struggle between uh, our sinful nature, our fleshly nature, uh, and the spirit within us continues to, to be in conflict with one another. And in light of that, this is, this is still freedom, uh, the fact that this conflict exists does not mean that we are, are, are not actually free, but it is freedom because before uh, we were free in Christ, we did not have the option to walk in the Spirit. Uh, so we're going to see we're going to see that from this from this passage. Uh, so again, in verse 17, it talks about how the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are in contrast to one another. Uh, that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. The two cannot exist together. Uh, we are always either satisfying one, we're either satisfying the desires of the flesh, uh, or we are satisfying the desires of the spirit. Never both at the same time. Uh, though sometimes, you know, we kind of flip-flop between uh, those throughout the day, but the, the two are in constant conflict with one another. So what does Paul mean when he talks about the flesh? Uh, what, does he mean by f- what does he mean by flesh? Uh, so Paul is not talking about flesh as in like our physical bodies. Uh, he doesn't hold to uh, a common belief at the time amongst the ancient amongst the ancient Greeks that came from Plato, uh, of this idea that our bodies, our physical bodies, are uh, dirty and not great, and that all of life should be uh, effort to strive to break free from our physical bodies, for our souls to break free from our physical bodies. Rather, what Paul is talking about is our corrupt, sinful nature. The way that our sinful desire plays out into our habits and actions. So again, it's not the physical body, because in fact, Christianity has a lot of positive things to say about our physical bodies, that our physical bodies are, are honorable. Uh, the fact that God came in human flesh means that our bodies are valuable. So Paul instead is talking about our sinful desires, the way that our, our flesh takes something good, good desires, and distorts them and twists them uh, to create this, these inordinate desires uh, that, that, are, that are too much or elevate these desires above uh, our desire for God. Uh, yeah, it is, it is our sinful, sinful nature. So when he's talking about the desires of the flesh, he's talking about the desires of uh, sin, our desires to sin, our desires to engage in sin. And then what about the spirit? What uh, does Paul mean? Who is Paul talking about when he talks about the spirit, the desires of the spirit? Uh, he, ref- he references the spirit seven times in this passage, uh, which is significant anytime uh, in the Bible a word or an idea is, is referenced multiple times in a short period of time. Uh, that's, a, that's a key theme, that's a key point to pay attention to. So who is the Spirit? Who is Paul's understanding of who the Holy Spirit is? Uh, I don't have a lot of time to kind of dig into that. You could do a whole sermon series on who the Holy Spirit is. Um, but I want to encourage you to check out John 14 and John 16, uh, where Jesus talks about the Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. But we see that, that Paul understands the Spirit uh, as the one who opens our eyes to Christ, 
that he convicts us of our sins and brings us to remembrance of what Christ has said. Uh, John 14 talks about that, that, that it is the Spirit who makes us aware of our sin, who convicts us of our sin, uh, and helps us to understand what Jesus has said, what he has done, and helps us to, to fully kind of comprehend and believe that. So the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit puts Christ in us. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 talks about how we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that you know, Jesus has, has saved us and justified us, and when we put our faith in him, we are secure in that faith. We are secure in our status of freedom and belonging to him because of the Spirit. And then lastly, the Spirit works Christ out in us. Uh, in John, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper, uh, and that, that is one of his main roles within us, that he is our helper. Uh, specifically, he helps us keep God's commandments. He helps us to stay faithful to God. That the reality is, it is only by God's grace that we're able to obey and follow God. Uh, that if it wasn't for God's grace, we would be fully uh, uh, condemned, we would be fully uh, enslaved to the desires of the flesh. So it is only through God's grace that we're able to obey him, and it is through the Spirit uh, that we're uh, allowed to do that. That it is the Spirit who helps us work out Christ in us. So the Spirit opens our eyes to Christ, seals us, uh, puts Christ in us, and then works Christ out in us. So in this passage, Paul is saying that there's a conflict that exists between uh, our flesh, our sinful nature, uh, and the spirit, now that we are free and have the spirit within us, that these two are in conflict with one another. But there's hope in that, there's encouragement in that. In the second half of verse 17, Paul says uh, that these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. That if we are free in Christ, that if we call ourselves followers of Christ and have the spirit within us, uh, that the desires of the Spirit is what we truly desire. It is the desires of the Spirit that is what we truly want to do. And yet, this, this kind of is what Paul talks about in Romans 7, uh, this conflict that exists, that, that what he wants to do is the desires of the Spirit, and yet he struggles to actually do that, and he does the things that he doesn't want to do. He does the things of the flesh. Uh, so I'm going to read from Romans 7, starting in verse 15, because I think he does a good job uh, at, at illustrating what this conflict is. Uh, so Romans 7, starting in verse 17. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I know I, I have felt uh, at different points in my walk with Jesus this frustration uh, over my struggle with sin. You know, that if I'm truly free and not under the law, why is it so easy to kind of slip back into sin? Uh, if I truly desire the Spirit, why is it so hard to stay faithful to Him day in and day out in all the aspects of my life? But I think that's because the struggle, this conflict that exists, is a sign of faithfulness. Because here's the fact. Dead men don't struggle. Dead men don't struggle. Uh, that before we had the Spirit, we were dead, we were slaves to the flesh, we were unable to fight against sin. That what we desired was the flesh. 
What we desired was sin and all that it offered us. But now that we are free in Christ, now that we've been justified through him, now that we have the spirit, what we desire is the spirit. And we experience that conflict. Now that we are alive, we experience that conflict. Because dead men do not struggle. And if we are struggling in sin, if we are struggling to follow the spirit and this conflict exists, yes, we grieve the fact that we desire sin, but we also place hope in the fact that this is a sign that we are with him, that we are walking with God. So the desires of the flesh are in conflict with the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are in conflict with the flesh. And we know this conflict exists, so it implies that there is a choice that must be made. You either follow the desires of the flesh, which Paul is going to call the works of the flesh, or we follow the desires of the spirit, uh, which is produced in the fruit of the spirit. Uh, so let's take a look at these two, at these two choices. Uh, we are going to see those starting in verse 19. Uh, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't know about you, but reading this list, it is clear that the fruit of the Spirit is better. That we should desire the fruit of the Spirit over the works of the flesh, and we should expect it as a part of our faithful walk with God. So let's take a look at the, at the works of the flesh. Uh, we're not going to kind of dive into each one. There's a lot there. We don't have the time for that. Uh, but it is, clear, it is clear that these are things that we produce. That Paul calls them the works of the flesh, that they are works, that they are things that we do, they are things that we produce, they are things that we have control over. But it's also clear that these are not positive things. I think anybody who reads this list uh, would not say that these are characteristics that they want defining their life. Uh, whether they follow Jesus or not, I don't know anybody who would be like, yes, I want my life to be full of dissensions and divisions. Uh, I want my life to be characterized by jealousy and envy. That is my goal in life. Because, yeah, the reality is it, it, these are not positive things. So why is it so hard uh, to fight against this? Why is it so easy to, to fall uh, into the works of the flesh? And I believe that's because sin is often packaged in these attractive ways, uh, in these kind of small uh, opportunities or choices that don't seem like a big deal at the time. But as we keep choosing them, uh, and as we keep kind of rejecting the spirit, it is easier for these to grow more and more, uh, have more of a foothold in our lives to, to grow more and more into these works of the flesh. That we don't just choose enmity in our life, but that starts off with smaller choices uh, and smaller decisions. I think a great example of this comes uh, from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, where you have uh, four siblings who enter into the magical land of Narnia, three, uh, where a conflict exists between Aslan and the White Witch. Aslan being good, White Witch being evil. And three of the siblings uh, meet up with Aslan, join his forces, see him for the good that he is. Uh, but one of the brothers, Edmund, meets the White Witch, uh, and, he in, and she deceives him by offering him Turkish delights. Uh, that, that she gives him Turkish delights, which he loves. I don't get. I've had them before. Not great. <laughs> but he chooses, the, uh, he desires these. She offers them to him. She, 
he chooses them and eats them. And by eating them, he then goes with her to her castle, and she continues to offer him these Turkish delights, and he gets further and further deceived by her, further and further entrenched with her, ultimately leading to uh, Edmund betraying his siblings because of how deep he has gotten in with her. Now, I don't know, I don't think when he was first offered these Turkish delights that he was willing to betray his family, that he was uh, willing to create this division and this enmity, but it was these small choices, the continual eating of these Turkish delights that got him further and further deceived and entrenched. And it's the same way with us. It's these small choices that we make that don't seem like a big deal at the time, uh, that kind of take us further and further away from God. The, the way that this plays out, I think, most prominent and regularly in my life uh, it's just the, the ways that I spend my mornings. Uh, I've found that uh, morning over breakfast is kind of the most ideal time for me to, to spend time with God, to read the word, to pray, that if I don't do it then, it's probably not going to happen the rest of the day. Uh, but mornings are also hard. Uh, I don't enjoy mornings. I'm not necessarily the most awake and, and uh, vibrant. So it is easy as I'm eating breakfast to you know, just kind of leave my Bible to the side, not engage with that, but instead just scroll on my phone, check my email, read the news, look on Facebook. And, it, you know, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal once when you do it. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. Maybe I didn't have as much time that morning. Okay, the second time, it's not, okay, it's fine. It's, it's all right. It's, it's, you know, I'll, I'll get back into that habit. But as we continue to do that, we realize over time that there has been this uh, relational gap between me and God, that I haven't been spending that time with him and it becomes easier and easier then because I'm not walking with him to then uh, choose the fruits of the flesh. That's these small things, don't seem like that big of a deal. Or there are these, these desires uh, which seem great, which seem attractive, which seem really pleasant, uh, yet they are contrary to the spirit and who he is. So they are a gradual, uh, yeah, they have this gradual grip on our lives. So that is the works of the flesh. Uh, these are things that are obviously not good, yet things that we continue to struggle with. On the flip side, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, again, I'm not going to kind of dive into uh, each specific fruit uh, that would take too long. There we go. Uh, so I want to recommend a podcast to you. Uh, everybody's got a podcast that they want to recommend. Uh, so this one is called the RTS Washington Faculty Podcast. Uh, it's my seminary professors. They get together each week uh, to, uh, to discuss various things. And starting back in April, they did a series through the fruit of the Spirit, where each week they talked about an individual fruit. Uh, what does it mean from a biblical standpoint? Where do we see evidence of that? And just practical suggestions. Uh, so if you want to dive deeper into each fruit, I would recommend uh, this podcast to you. But what is the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, I think, are three things. Uh, first, they are a sign of faithfulness. They are not actions, they are not things that we do, but they are signs of faithfulness to God. They are signs of walking in the Spirit. These are not what make us righteous, these are not what make us free, uh, but rather it is the result of that freedom. It is the result of living in freedom with Christ. It is the result of faithfulness. It is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So the fruit of the Spirit is, is evidence of our faithfulness to him. It is evidence that we are aligned with him, that we are free in him. 
uh, and that we are faithful to him. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is also inevitable. The believers should expect to produce fruit. Uh, again, fruit isn't what we produce, but it is a, a sign of faithfulness. It is, uh, it is what happens when we follow the leading of the Spirit. As we follow him, as we live with him, as we are faithful to him, this fruit is inevitable and should produce. In the same way that a tree that is planted in healthy soil uh, with good sunlight, uh, lots of rain, it is inevitable that that tree will bloom and produce fruit, whatever its tree's fruit is. In the same way, we, as we follow the leading of the Spirit, should anticipate and expect the inevitability of the fruit of the Spirit. I think oftentimes we maybe struggle with that because we look at our lives and we're kind of like, I'm not sure if I really see this fruit producing in me. And I want to argue, I think, I think we'll get to that in the next point, uh, but I think it's because we don't reflect on the way that God has been moving in our lives. Uh, that because fruit is gradual, uh, because fruit grows over time, uh, we can just kind of look at our lives in the moment or just reflect on maybe the past week and see like, you know, I'm, I'm not very, I'm not a really loving person at this moment. I don't have a lot of joy. And that may be true, but if you were to reflect back on the past month, past year, past five years, past decades, however long it has been, that you've been following Jesus, I would imagine that there's evidence of fruit being produced in you. And if you reflect back and maybe you're seeing that you're not producing fruit, that should lead to reflection and that should lead to concern. Because if we are faithfully following the Spirit, this fruit should be inevitable. And the last thing is that the fruit is gradual. Uh, Paul uses these terms uh, that imply time and imply length. Uh, fruit of the Spirit, fruit does just doesn't kind of produce overnight, but it is the process of, of many months of, of uh, production. Uh, he uses the words, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step in the Spirit, that walking implies a journey. It implies that you're going from one place to another and that there's time in between there. And if you're trying to, if you're trying to go somewhere and you choose to walk there, uh, you're not anticipating that you're going to get there quickly. Uh, walking, you do that because maybe you want to enjoy uh, the process. So we should expect to see fruit grow gradually over a lifetime of faithfulness. But also, we're never really going to fully arrive to perfect, kind of the perfection of this fruit. We will never experience perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, this side of heaven, because there is always more growing to do there. And even as we've grown in certain aspects of this fruit previous in our life, uh, you know, that, mean, that doesn't mean that we're done growing in that area, but God is going to continue to produce fruit um, as we continue to grow and to mature. One of the key themes uh, that I've experienced kind of in my life where I've seen God move uh, is this idea of validation through works, validation through other people, um, approval that way. And I think one of the first times that I saw God kind of prominently move in my life uh, was back in high school. Uh, I had desperately, uh, I was desperately working that people would see me as good by the work that I produced through school. Specifically, junior and senior English class. Uh, I had the same teacher for both those classes. I thought I was pretty good at English. Um, and one of the things that he would do was he had a board in the room where anytime that we had a test or an assignment or a paper, uh, the person, uh, the assignment with the best score on that board. So everybody can see who did the best on that work. And I desperately wanted to get on that board. Uh, I knew that I was, you know, I knew that I was good in that class. I knew that I was doing well on my assignments, and I desperately wanted to be on that board so people could see uh, that I was the best in this one thing. And if they saw that, if they saw that my paper on To Kill a Mockingbird was the best of the class, that they would see that I was valuable 
they would see that I was worthy, and they would see that I had something to bring. Yet time and time again, I never made it on the board. I was always second, third, fourth, just missing out, but never on the board, and it killed me. It destroyed me. Despite doing well, it killed me that I wasn't on there, that people couldn't see those things. Uh, and I think I was complaining to a friend at the time, didn't realize how much it was, uh, it was killing me. Uh, but the friend called me out and said, why do you care so much about being on that board? Everybody knows. Everybody knows how you're doing. So why does it matter so much that you're up there? And I don't think I knew what kind of a grip that had over me. Uh, and I think just, just being aware of that, being aware of how entrenched this was in my identity, being aware of how little peace I was experiencing in this aspect of my life, uh, kind of opened me up for the spirit to move. And it wasn't about saying no, but it was about choosing to believe that I belong to Christ, that my validation comes from him, and to allow the spirit to transform my desires for validation into an acceptance and a peace in him. But here's the thing, uh, however long it's been since high school, that desire for validation from other people still pops up in other areas. There's still areas of growth in that way. If I'm being honest, up here, there's still a part, you know, there's still a voice in the back of my head about like, you know, the sermon's got to be great because other people are seeing it and they're going to validate you through that way. And all of that is to say that there is, there's always room to grow in this fruit that, that even as we grow in a certain area and then, you know, years later we still struggle with it, uh, that's not a sign of the fact that, like, God hasn't actually moved in our lives, but it's a sign that we are never done growing until uh, when Jesus returns. Uh, that in First uh, John 3, 2, uh, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So what John is saying, that when Jesus comes, which we believe that he will come to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and when he comes that there will be no more sin, no more pain, all our tears will be wiped away, and we will become like him. And what that means is that the fruit of the Spirit will be perfected in us because Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that Jesus was, is, and forever will be perfect love. That Jesus will be perfect joy. He will be perfect peace, perfect patience. Jesus is the perfect kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and perfect self-control. So while we continue to grow and strive now, uh, we do so in anticipation and hope, knowing that one day when Jesus returns, because he is the perfect embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit, that we too will one day be perfected in that way. So by this point, it should be clear that the fruit of the Spirit is what we should desire and expect. So how do we do it? Paul gives us instructions on how to see this fruit of the Spirit bloom. Uh, he says in verse 16, to walk by the Spirit. In verse 25, he says to, to live by the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, so I just want to get super practical about what it means to walk in the Spirit. Uh, all right, so in verse 24, uh, verse 24, Paul says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, so the first thing that we do in walking in the Spirit is not actually doing anything, but it is remembering and believing and knowing that you belong to Christ. The fact that we are able to walk in the Spirit is only because we belong to Christ, only because Jesus has lived, died, and raised from the dead, and because, uh, as Ronald preached weeks ago, that we have been justified in him. Because of that, because we belong in him, that we too, our flesh has been crucified, and we can walk in the Spirit. 
that the more we believe we belong to Christ, the more we were able to keep step in the Spirit. So this is the first thing. As I get into the kind of next practical four steps, it's all under this umbrella of believing and understanding that you belong to Christ. So four ways that we could walk in the Spirit. First is confession and repentance. Uh, Each Sunday we have an opportunity uh, to do so. Mario led us uh, through that today. Uh, But confession and repentance is a regular opportunity that we have to acknowledge the ways that we have been uh, maybe pursuing uh, the desires of the flesh and not desiring the, the desires of the Spirit, to acknowledge those things, to confess those things, and to then kind of course correct and walk with the Spirit. Uh, so confession and repentance, it begins with a conviction over sin, uh, acknowledging the ways that we've been pursuing the desires of the flesh, and feeling convicted over that. Conviction is, is a recognition that, that it's not right, But conviction is also an evidence of belonging, because if you didn't belong to Christ, you wouldn't feel convicted over that sin. Uh, So conviction, it it is something that we want to repent of that sin, but we also take hope that conviction is a sign that we belong to him. So we feel this conviction. We know that that the way that we've been walking is wrong. We know that it is contrary to who God is. So then the second step is we voice that sin explicitly and directly to God, that we acknowledge that we have sinned against him, that we are not following him, that we are not desiring the things that are of him. Uh, But we also confess it explicitly to other people, either people that we have sinned and people we have wronged. We confess it to them to seek forgiveness. Uh, Or maybe we we confess it explicitly to them because we need support. We need help in in walking in the spirit. We need somebody to check in on us, to encourage us, to hold us accountable to those areas. And the last thing is, because I have confessed, I now have a new desire to obey him. That because I have confessed that I've been walking in this darkness, that I have acknowledged that that's wrong, I then choose and walk in the Spirit and the things that he desires. So we walk in the Spirit first by confession and repentance. Here on Sundays, but I want to encourage you, the best time to confess and repent is the moment that you realize that you have been uh, sinning. The moment that you realize that you have not been walking in the Spirit. Don't wait till Sunday to, to kind of bring all your confession to God, but it is something that we do day in and day out as we remember. Uh, The second way we walk in the Spirit is to pray for the Spirit to produce it. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So are we asking God for what we lack? If we lack the fruit of the Spirit, if we lack the desire for the fruit of the Spirit, are we going to God asking him to give those to us? Uh, you know, the, the, the Gospels say that God is a, is a generous Father who gives good gifts to his children. So are we asking him for these things that we lack? Are we, you know, do we desire the fruit of the Spirit? If we don't, let's pray and ask God to, to give us the desire for the Spirit, that the desire of the Spirit would be stronger than the desires of the flesh. That if the fruit of the Spirit is truly from the Spirit, not through our own works, but truly from the Spirit, we must pray to him to produce it. And with that, be prepared for the ways that he's going to produce it. Because uh, oftentimes this fruit just doesn't come through kind of, you know, he doesn't just like immediately give you this fruit, but it often comes through times or trials or, or opportunities where you need to practice the fruit. Uh, if you are praying that God would produce patience in you, he's not just going to suddenly make you a patient person, uh, but he's most likely going to put you in a situation where you need to be patient and you need to choose patience in his strength. So we pray for the Spirit to produce it. Uh, The third way that we walk in the Spirit is by building relational structures 
with the Spirit. Essentially, walking with the Spirit is a relational act. Uh, you know, when you, when you, I guess if you think about the, the act of walking, it is, it is often a relational thing that we do. We ask somebody to go on a walk. Uh, typically, as you're walking, you're sharing stories, you're catching up with one another, uh, you're laughing, you're crying, whatever it is that it is. Walking is often a relational act with somebody else. And in the same way with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit is relational. So we want to make sure that we are building these structures of relationship around him. Uh, this understanding that the Spirit is not an it, but the Spirit is a he, that he is relational, and that it is regularly choosing relationship with God and his people, regularly choosing to, to read your word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time on Sundays, come to church, go into community groups, that as we build these things, which maybe at the time don't seem like that big of a deal, uh, but as, you know, they are the things that kind of give us those roots deeply within him uh, where we relate with him. And the last way that we walk in the Spirit is by fighting sin, fighting the desires of the flesh. Uh, James 4, uh, 7 to 8 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we walk in the Spirit by fighting the things that prevent us from doing that. Uh, that might look like running from sin, running from temptation, that if you know a situation uh, is going to cause you to maybe fall into sin, uh, you just completely cut that out and run from that. Uh, but for, I think, for, for a lot of sin, it is not just kind of this symptom management uh, of sin, but it is working on what is that motivation behind sin. That if I am I'm angry all the time, or if I am impatient all the time, uh, it's kind of asking what is that thing that is causing me to be angry, that is causing me to be, uh, to be impatient. Uh, maybe it's uh, we lack something that we think that we deserve, uh, we feel kind of entitled to something, and that's not there. So what is that motivation? But as we walk in the Spirit, we, we vehemently choose to reject sin, and by doing that, we choose the Spirit above all that. So walking in the Spirit is, again, under this umbrella of knowing that we belong to Christ, that we are uh, united with him. And because of that, we confess and repent our sin. We pray for the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we walk in the Spirit through relationship by having these daily, ordinary means of grace uh, with him. And we fight sin. So Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So we now, because we are free in Christ, we have this option to walk in the Spirit, to desire the things that are of Him, and to live a life that is Christ-likeness. So let us do that daily. Let us, let us confess regularly. Let us pray for the Spirit to produce, regular, uh, to produce fruit regularly. Uh, let us regularly spend time with Him, and let us fight sin, uh, knowing that what the Spirit desires is good, and that in that is life uh, fully. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you, uh, you have freed us from the law, that you have freed us from the bondage of, of sin, that we are fully free in you. And as a result, uh, we get to walk in the Spirit, we get to desire the things of the Spirit, and that even the process of walking in the Spirit is an act of freedom. 
that we don't have to, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is not something that we need to produce uh, to be made right with you, to, to be unified with you, uh, but it is because of the fact that we are unified with you, that you have set us free, that we are able to walk in the Spirit and to see this fruit produced. So Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to faithfully walk with you um, and to delight in the gifts that you offer us. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as we turn to communion, I want to read from uh, Luke chapter 22. Uh, and this is Jesus kind of at the end of his life. Uh, Luke 22, starting in verse 14, says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. So communion is an opportunity that we have each week to come before God in remembrance, in reflection, and in gratitude. That we remember the fact that, that his body was broken, that his blood was filled, and because of that we are free now in him to walk in the Spirit. And we thank him for that. We thank him for his faithfulness in our life. We thank him for the ways that he's produced the fruit of the Spirit in us. So for those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus, let's take a moment uh, to spend that time in reflection, in remembrance, and gratitude uh, to our Lord Jesus. Take and eat when you're ready. <laughs> 